so that when God speaks to you, you don't miss it. Can you say amen? Does that make sense? All right, so let's get into this thing. So um, we're going to just a little brief recap. We, uh, the first thing I talked about last week as we start talking about lessons to learn from Joseph and his time in Egypt, the very first thing I mentioned was no matter what you're going through, you need to understand that God is with you. No matter how bad or how difficult the situation or how much it may seem like it's over for you or whatever, you know, no matter how bad the situation is, you need to understand that God is always with you in the middle of that situation. And I put here, see, Joseph was sold into Egypt as a slave, but he was never alone. He was never left alone. God was with him every step of the way. He was there to give him favor with the people that owned him. He was there to prosper everything that he did and put his hands to. God was a constant presence in his life as he is for you. He's always a constant presence. And I put here, so remember, no matter where you have to go or what you have to go through, God has promised that he will never leave you and that he will never forsake you. He's there to walk through every fiery furnace with you and bring you through on the other side without even smelling like smoke. No matter what you got to go through in life, no matter what you're currently in or going through or experiencing, no matter what's happening to you right now, never forget that God is always a constant presence in your life. He's there. And he's there to get you through it. And it may seem like, you know, for Joseph, he must have seen, I mean, can you imagine? Here he is being sold as a slave into Egypt. I mean, you got to be thinking it's over, man. But God is with him, constantly a presence in his life. So no matter what you're going through right now, just remember, he's a constant presence. Number two, as I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do a brief recap, and then I'm going to get into my message. I put here, it's not for where you are, it's for where you're going. And I put here, Potiphar's house was Joseph's first lessons, lesson in hard work. Because <laughs> he had never worked a day in his life. So Potiphar's house was his very first lesson of what it is to work hard. And I put here, he was a house boy and he was an errand runner. And most of all, he was a tattletale. <laughs> While his brothers were working hard in the field, he was checking on them and reporting back to his father what they were doing. That was his occupation. Tattletale. And I put here, when he went to Potiphar's house, though, he had to work. He, he couldn't tell anyone, nobody to tell on. He had to get to work. He was a slave, and work was the primary requirement. And I put here, see, he also learned how to manage and to lead in Potiphar's house. As his hard work began to pay off, he was promoted and given more authority in Potiphar's house. And I put here, by the time he was done, he was over everything in the house and in the field. In fact, he had control over the entire house of Potiphar. And this was valuable training that he needed, to, that he needed for when he got to the palace. He went from managing a house, then he went to managing a prison, finally to managing the nation of Egypt. And I put here again, what you're doing now is not for where you are, it's for where you're going. 
So you may think, you know, you run into these places and you do these crazy jobs or whatever and you learn these uh, skills or trainings or go to school, whatever. And you, uh, what do I need that for? <laughs> Eventually, it'll reveal itself. Because it's not for where you are, it's for where you're going. God always has plans in mind. You're doing something now that's preparing you for where God's going to take you. And when you get there, then you'll be able to use it and you'll be greatly successful. See, while, while uh, Joseph was using his skills in Potiphar's house, there wasn't much personal benefit. He wasn't gaining any wealth. He was making Potiphar wealthy. Some of you are thinking, yeah, here I am on this job making my boss wealthy. Well, you, don't forget, you're also learning some valuable skills. You know, you're, you're, you're learning how to apply certain principles, and then when if you take that and you begin to apply it to what God has for you, then you'll become successful. I told some people here, you need to start your own business. You've been doing this thing for years. Now you need to step out, and you need to start applying that to your own business. Now you know how to do it. See, once you know how to do it, then you can take and you can begin to do it yourself. So it's not for where you are, it's for where you're going. Number three, you have to have lines drawn in the sand that you will not cross no matter what. Now when Joseph uh, became successful in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife began to look at him and want him. And I put here, Joseph could have easily been with Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar would have never, maybe never known. <laughs> he would have still been in charge of the house and could have had Potiphar's wife as well. I put, the issue is that although Potiphar might have not ever known, God would have known. And I put here, the price for integrity, however, might be a steep one. So you got to have, if you're going to put your foot down, you may have to pay a price for it. But if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. You got you to take a stand in life and say, I'm not, I'm not, this is my line. I'm not going past that. That's it. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. That's my line. I'm not crossing it. And you got to have lines like that. Joseph drew a line. He said, everything in his house I have access to. The only thing I don't have access to is you because you're his wife. And he said, I can't do this thing and not, not sin against Potiphar and sin against God. So I'm not, crossing, I'm not crossing that line and sinning against God. And I put here, the price of Joseph's integrity was a prison sentence. But what's, what's key is that he didn't lose the presence of God in his life. See, most people would rather lose the presence of God and please people. <laughs> you have to draw clear lines for yourself and everyone else and then refuse to cross them. So that's what I went over last week. So now I'm going to get into the message for this week. And um, so number four, I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to read verses 29 through 41. And I put here, <clears throat> what's important here is, number four is don't just give the problem, bring a solution. See, we're learning from the life of Joseph. And I put here, see, this is the turning point in Joseph's life. Joseph is called out of prison to come, into, to come and speak to Pharaoh about the dream that he had. 
See, Pharaoh had a dream that none of his magicians or witches or soothsayers were able to interpret. Then Pharaoh was told about a prisoner who was able to interpret the chief butler's and chief baker's dream. And then it came to pass exactly like, it's, like he said. So now Joseph literally has enough time to shave and change his clothes. And he's standing before the most powerful man in all of Egypt. Amazing. And I put here what happens next will determine what will happen to Joseph. Will he go back to prison? Or will he be released after all these years? <laughs> and we're going to pick up on the text from when Joseph has already heard the dream and he's about to interpret it. But I just want to see this. See, this is a turning point. This is Joseph's great opportunity. He's been in prison for years. So now he has a, he's standing in front of Pharaoh. And he has an opportunity. And this I want to mention this before I move on. This is how quickly God can change whatever situation you're going through in your life. See, I may, I may mention of something earlier, um, you know, towards the tail end of last year, because someone asked me a, a very important question. And he said, what is the one thing that you learned about God this year? And I said, the one thing that I learned about God is that he doesn't come quickly, but he comes suddenly. See, quickly just means that if I pray today and I get my answer tomorrow, that's quickly. But God doesn't move that way. But he moves suddenly. Suddenly means that when he, when he starts moving, now it may be a while before he starts moving, but when he starts moving, it's so quick. It's like, whoa. I mean, think about it. Joseph. I don't know what Joseph was doing, but he's down there in prison. Next thing you know, somebody's crying, Joseph. Pharaoh wants to see, what? Pharaoh wants to see you. And he only got enough time to shave and to change his clothes. And he's standing in front of Pharaoh. And now, I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's in front of the most powerful man in the, in the known world. And he has his opportunity. See, many of you, God is going to give you a, a suddenly. He's going to change your situation for you so fast, it's going to blow your mind. Because that's how God moves. You're praying. You're praying. You believe in God. You believe in God. You believe in God. It may take a year, two years. You're praying. You're consistent with, and the next thing you know, boom, the thing just happens. And it's like, whoa, it blows your mind. It absolutely, I've had suddenlies, and it just, it's blown my mind. But that's how God begins to move. See, but that's why you got to stay consistent with faith, with believing God, with prayer, because when God starts moving, man, he starts moving. And so now, here's Joseph. He hears the dream of Pharaoh. And in verse 29, I'm reading in the Amplified Version, Joseph says to Pharaoh, he says, listen very carefully. <laughs> Seven years of great abundance will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But afterwards, seven years of famine and hunger will come. And there will be such desperate need that all the great abundance of the previous years will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, as if it never happened. And famine and destitution will ravage, ravage and destroy the land. So the great abundance will become forgotten in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. And he says that the dream was repeated twice to Pharaoh and in two different ways. It indicates that this manner is fully determined and established by God, because the Bible says out of the mouth of two to three witnesses, 
Let every word be established. So God gives him two dreams to establish the fact that this is coming to pass. And he says, because he does this, he did this thing twice. It is fully determined and established by God and God will bring it to pass very quickly. So now that's the problem. Do you know what happens with most people? That's where they leave you. They give you the problem. You know, they tell you what the issue is, what the problems are. And then they leave you to figure it all out. <laughs> I always say, don't bring me, don't just bring me the problem, bring me a solution. You know what I'm saying? Tell me, tell me what to do about it. Okay, you got revelation on what's going on, tell me what to do now. Most people just give you the problems. They got a problem with this, they got a problem with that. Oh, I see this is going on, this is wrong, this is happening, you know. But never a solution, just problems. You got to be not just a person that can see the problem. You got to learn how to become a problem solver. I tell you, problem solving is the key to promotion in life. It's the key to going to the next level, being able to solve other people's problems. If you can solve other people's problems, you're going to put yourself in very high demand. And people are going to want you around them. See, nobody wants anybody that causes problems. <laughs> but people love people that can solve them. Give me a problem solver any day. So that's the problem. And he says, so now, now he's going to give him the solution. I love it. So now let Pharaoh prepare ahead and look for a man discerning and clear-headed and wise and set him in charge over the land of Egypt as governor under Pharaoh. So first, find you somebody that can govern this thing. Someone that's wise, somebody that can handle this business. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. You need to find somebody that can handle this situation. Then he says, let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers and officials over the land and set aside one-fifth of the produce of the entire land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. So he says, first, find you somebody that can be in charge of this. Then set officials get you a team of people that can work under this person and then take one-fifth of everything that Egypt produces in this next seven years because the next seven years is going to be great abundance. It's going to be so much abundance, it's going to be amazing. Take one-fifth of everything that comes in and set it aside. Then he says, and let them gather as a tax all of the fifth of the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the direction and authority of Pharaoh and let them guard the food and fortify granaries in the cities. That the food should be put in storage as a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine and hunger which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not be ravaged during the time of famine. So I mean, what a, I mean, think about that. What a plan that, that Joseph gives this man. I mean, breaks it down. Everything that he needs to do. He finds you a man that can oversee this. Get you a, put you a team together that can run this whole thing. Take a one-fifth of all of the produce. Store it in, 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 in um, granary containers. So that when the seven years of famine come, we got, you still got more than enough food. I mean, I mean, check this, the brilliance. So then he says, so now... It says, now the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. So Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? 
a man equal to Joseph, in whom is the divine spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since your God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and clear-headed and wise as you are. You shall be have charge over my house. Now remember, it's not for where you are. It's for where you're going. See, because he was in charge over Potiphar's house, just one man. Now Potiphar may have had great riches, but he was in charge over one man's house. Now he's in charge over Pharaoh's house. You shall have charge over my house, and all my people shall be governed according to your word. And they're going to pay respect to you with reverence, submission, and obedience. Remember who this is now. Joseph is a foreigner and a convicted felon. I mean, this is not like, you know, think about what Pharaoh is now doing. He's putting this guy in charge over the whole nation. He's a slave from a foreign nation, and he's a convicted felon, and now he's going to be put in charge over the whole nation of Egypt. He says, and only in the, in the matters of the throne will I be greater than you in Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you in charge over all the land of Egypt. Amazing. Now, I just put here, see, there's a lot in the scripture, but I just have to pull this one primary thing out. That is, it's, it's good to be able to determine what the problem is, but it's better to be able to bring a solution with it. First, Joseph had enough insight to determine what the problem was. He was the only person that was able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh and tell him exactly what was going to happen. That's good. But then he turned around and told him what to do about it. See, that's a thousand times better. Again, don't just bring a problem, bring a solution. What's the solution to the problem? Can you tell me how to solve this problem? Are you one that only sees problems? See, some people, like, all they can see is problems. They got no solutions, just all they see is problems. Second, I always hear about people wanting to, a promotion on their job. People want to go to the next level. Well, guess what? Promotion comes to the person that has the ability to solve problems. Let me also say that if you recognize the problem and you have a solution to the problem, promotion just means that now the duty of solving that problem belongs to you. Because <laughs> now that was Joseph's job. Joseph's whole job in Egypt was to solve the problem that he told Pharaoh about. If you don't want the duty of solving that problem, then you don't really want a promotion. You just want someone to give you more money to do what you're already doing. See, people want to be prom promoted, but promotion means more responsibility. That means that there's a greater problem that needs to be solved, and you've been chosen as a person who can handle it. But most people don't want more, they don't want more responsibility, they just want more money. I get it, but all you're saying is you don't want to be promoted. 
So you have to make a decision. Do I, be, do I really want to be promoted? Because I'm going to have to do some more stuff. I'm going to have to solve some problems. Joseph ain't have no problems to solve in prison. <laughs> he, was just, he was just like, you know, I guess they was doing some activities down there. He said whatever they was doing, Joseph was the doer of it. So if they was playing spades or if they were playing uh, blackjack or like uh, dominoes or something, I guess he was the one that was doing it. So if you want to go to that next level, you got to be, see, that's one th- another thing I'm learning this year. God spoke to me last week, and he said, he said, I'm stretching you. And he said that in order for you to be able to contain more, you need to be stretched. You can't, you can't handle more if you're not, if you're not stretched, if, you're, if, you're, if your ability is not stretched a little bit. You got to get out your comfort zone if you want to go to the next level. Because whatever you've done or been doing has gotten you this far in life. So in order to go to higher levels, you're going to have to step outside of your comfort zone and go to, and, and do more. All right, I know nobody's not happy about that. You know, we want a lazy gospel where I can sit back with my feet up and wait for God to pour it on me. That's the lazy gospel, you know. But God will begin to, God will only start stepping in when you are at your limit. Have, when you've done all you can do, then he'll, he'll step in. And you'll be stretched in that all you can do. Because he won't let you be lazy. All right, you guys not happy with this. But that was number four. Number four was don't just bring a problem, bring a solution. And then number five, I put be ready to take on the assignment and then to produce. So in Genesis 41, 46 through 49, it says now, Joseph had been in Egypt 13 years. He was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph departed from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt, performing his duties. In the seven abundant years, the earth produced handfuls for each seed planted. I mean, it was when they were sowing seeds, it was producing like crazy. And Joseph gathered all the surplus of food of the seven good years in the land of Egypt and stored enormous quantities of food in the cities. He stored away in every city the food collected from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph gathered and stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped counting it, for it could not be measured. So he went out and he began to work. And I put here, once you receive that promotion, you must be able to execute and produce. Joseph dissected the problem, came up with a solution, and he executed the plan and was successful at it. Think about it. It must have been a huge undertaking for him to store up enough food in Egypt to survive seven years worth of famine 
to feed everybody in Egypt. Think about that. Think about how much food that must have taken. Seven years worth of produce. And I put here, managing that process must have been extremely difficult. But see, that takes me back to point number two. See, in Potiphar's house, Joseph was learning how to manage projects. That's why I say that you're going to you're going to do, you see, what you're doing right now, again, is preparing you for where you're going. The Bible says that if you can be faithful over a little, then you can also be faithful over much. And Joseph proved himself to be faithful in Potiphar's house and then faithful in the prison. He managed both of those assignments well. All he had to do was take what he did and then scale it higher. That's what, hap that's what happens. If you, can, if you can figure out the plan, all you have to do is scale it to the next level. Whatever level you move to, you scale it to that next level. You get bigger this, then you start scaling it to the next level. That's why, that's why it doesn't matter. If, you're, if you can't manage money, it don't matter how much money somebody gives you, you'll always, you'll always be broke. Because if you can't manage a little bit of money, you'll never manage, be able to manage a great amount of money. So Joseph was managing smaller tasks. And then when he went on to Egypt, he just did what he did when he was in Potiphar's house, just on a different level. He was able to manage a bigger process. And see, that's why God has you in a place right now where you can manage something smaller. And if you can learn how to manage what you're doing, where you are, and that's, that can be anything, the work that you're doing, the money that you have, whatever the situation is, if you can manage what you're doing now and do it well, when you begin to get more, you'll be able to manage that and do that well. So Joseph goes through this process. He takes on the assignment, and he begins to produce. He's productive. He's successful at what he's doing. When the famine hits, he's ready. And when they start begging for food, start begging Pharaoh for food, Pharaoh turns around and says, don't, why are you crying to me? Go see Joseph. He's the guy that has the answer. He's the answer, man. What you coming to me for? And Joseph winds up saying, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. That's how much favor he got in the land, where he's able to say, I'm a father to Pharaoh. That's how much honor and respect he had. He, st he started saying, I need to get my father. He said, go, get your, get your father. Let me give you, let me give you chariots. And f I mean, he, he sent all the Egyptians after him, man. They went all the way to Canaan to go get his father. When they came back, he said, we want to live in, they lived in the best land, Goshen. I mean, that's how much favor he wound up receiving from doing an awesome job. See, if you begin to do what you do well, you'll be promoted to higher levels. And you'll get favor and you'll get honor and you'll get respect. Finally, and I'm about to get ready to finish up here. I got a couple more. But I put here, this is very important. And that is, whatever you have to go through or whatever you've been going through, 
Not only will God be with you, but God will make it up to you. God will make it up to you. In Genesis 41, 50 through 52, it says, Now two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine came. From Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. And the Bible says, Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. And his name meant causing to forget. For he said, God has made me to forget all my trouble and hardship and all the sorrow of the loss that I experienced in my father's house. With one blessing from God, he can cause you to forget everything that you've been through in life. Every horrible thing that you've ever experienced, everything that you've gone through that has been detrimental to you, everything that has challenged you, every person has broken your heart. With one blessing from God, he can cause you to forget all of that. You're talking about Joseph had to forget all of the pain that he experienced when he was in his father's house. His brothers selling him as a slave into Egypt. One blessing from God, he said, has caused me to forget everything that I experienced when I was in my father's house. That's all it takes. One blessing from God. And then he says, he named the second son Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. He says, for God has caused me to be fruitful. And in fact, it means doubly fruitful. God has caused me to be doubly fruitful and very successful, successful in the land of my suffering. You know, God can bless you so mightily, even where you're at right now, and cause you to receive two times as much. Cause you to be doubly fruitful. And I put here, see, if you walk in integrity and you serve God, he will make it up to you. You may have to go through some difficult times in the beginning, but God will see you through it. And not only will he see you through it and be with you in it, but he'll compensate you for what you had to go through. When Joseph was put over the entire land of Egypt, Pharaoh gave him a wife. His wife bore him two children. Again, the firstborn being Manasseh. His name means with one blessing from the Lord, he has made me to forget everything that I went through in my father's house. And then his secondborn, Ephraim. God has caused me to be doubly fruitful in the land of my affliction. And I believe that God will cause you to birth something that will cause you to forget everything that you've experienced. See, that's a word for you right now. And again, like I said earlier, you mess around, get distracted. It'll go over your head. But that's a word for many of you right now. That God's going to give you one blessing. And that blessing is going to cause you to forget everything. you. I'm saying it a couple of times because I know that this is a word for somebody. And I don't want you to miss it. But God's going to give you a blessing that's going to cause you to forget everything you've been through. All right. 
Number seven I put here, it's very important for you to understand that God, he is the master chess player. God don't play checkers, he plays chess. In Genesis 45, four through eight, it says in, in uh, <clears throat> now this is after Joseph met his brothers, his brother come down to Egypt to get food and stuff like that. But it says here, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they approached him. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here ahead of you to save life and to preserve our family. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five more years in which there will be no plowing and harvesting. God sent me to Egypt ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by a great escape. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. My God, man. And I put here, God is the master chess player. Also, I'll mention this. God uses everything that we go through in life to create an amazing destiny for us. Even the bad things that happen. Everything. That's why the Bible states that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord, to the called according to his purpose. See, all things. Not just all good things. Because <laughs> not everything that happens to us is good. But he said all things, they work together for the good. Because God is able to use everything. He's able to use it all. For example, Jacob's brothers sold him to Egypt as a slave. That wasn't good. That was horrible. It was a horrible experience for Joseph. But God was able to take that horrible situation and work it out for Joseph's, and not just Joseph, but the nation of Israel's good. Their brothers meant it for evil, but God had a plan all along. And I put here, that's the key lesson here. Ultimately, God is leading you to a place. So don't get caught up in the way. Focus on the destination. Joseph had to be sold into Egypt to save all of Israel from starvation. Israel had to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And the Lord Jesus had to go to the cross to save us from our sins. The journey may have not been the best, but the destination was worth every peril that they had to face. So you may have to go through a rough way. And it may seem horrible while you're on that rough way. But never forget, God is leading you somewhere. He's playing chess all along. The devil don't know what's ha happening. He thinks he's winning. See, the most amazing chess players are the ones that can make you think you're winning. And then while you're looking at something else, they checkmate. What? I didn't even see that move. See, chess, you gotta think five moves ahead, man. And God is always thinking ahead. And he's positioning all the pieces. And he's putting you right where you need to be. And you're like, why am I here? This is horrible, man. But it's all 
a part of the destination to get you to somewhere. So don't get caught up in the, the way. Don't get caught up in that, that road you have to go, that wilderness that you have to travel through. Keep focused on the destination because God has a great destination for you. Now, I'm going to end it with this. And I call it the man with the master plan. <laughs> and in Genesis 47, 23 to 24, it says, Then Joseph said to the people, <laughs> Now, this is the amazing thing. Now, after the famine is over, during the famine, the Egyptians start coming to Joseph to buy food from him. So when they first go to buy food, they give Joseph all their money. So Joseph takes all their money. Then the next year, they come buy food from him. And they sell all of their land. Then they sell all their cattle. So now Joseph has everything. So then they come back to him and say, well, buy us. <laughs> so they sell, the Egyptians sell themselves to, to, to Joseph. Crazy, man. He sells himself. He sells themselves. So in Genesis 47, 23 to 24, it says, <clears throat> then Joseph said to the people, look, today I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh. I bought you. <laughs> I bought you and your land for Pharaoh. And he says, now here's seed for you. And he says, and you shall plant the land. Now the famine is over. So now you can sow seeds again. So he says, you're going to, here's seed. Now go plant the land. And he says, when you get harvest, when harvest time comes and you reap the increase, you're going to give one-fifth of it to Pharaoh. And four-fifths will be your own to use for seed for the field and as food for you and those of your households and for your little ones. Amazing. I put here, see, this passage shows you the depth of the business acumen that Joseph possessed. By the time the famine ended, Joseph took all the Egyptians' money, all their cattle, their land, and finally bought all the people. The Egyptians literally sold themselves into slavery for, to Pharaoh for food. Then he gave them seed to grow food in the land and instituted the tax system of Egypt. Going forward, they all had to pay 20% income tax to Pharaoh, one-fifth. No doubt Joseph did this to make sure that Egypt would be fine in case there was ever another famine. Because that's what he took up. He took up a fifth of the land during the time of, of plenty. Think about that. You know. Now that's wisdom and incredible business acumen. And I put upon reading this, you may be asking yourself, how in the world did Joseph come up with this strategy? Well, no doubt, from seeking God. I mean, like Joseph was uh, running businesses or nothing like that. <laughs> I mean, his, his background was, uh, you know, a daddy's boy, you know? I mean, he was not, he, he was a snitch. He wasn't no, you know, business guy. I mean, this stuff he learned when he got to Egypt, man. So I'll mention this. Some of the roughest places you got to go through, 
you'll learn the greatest lessons. Because if he would have stayed comfortable in his father's house, he would have never, he would have never probably made much out of his life. Because you don't become much by being, just being coddled. You know, never having to work or do anything. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to hit the, the road and, 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 uh, and start working. You know, it's the same thing that happened with, um, with Jacob. After Jacob, you know, got his birthright from Esau, man, after he got blessed by his father, Esau said, you know, soon as my father die, I'm killing him. That's it, man. As soon as, soon as Isaac dies, I'm killing him. And I forced him to go on a run. And he went to Laban. He ain't never had to work before. And he gets, he gets in Laban's house, his uncle, and that brother works, man. I mean, Laban put his butt to work. He worked 14 years for two women. And then he worked another six years for cattle. 20 years he worked in Laban's. I mean, he was working, man. And when he started talking about what he had to go through, he said, Laban was so shrewd. He said that in the nighttime, I froze. And he said, during the day, I burned up. And he said, because if any cattle was missing at all, he said, you make me pay for it. He said, so I just lost sleep. Watching over um, sheep, making sure that nothing happened to them. Because you made me pay for it. And then, and then, he, was, then he had to, you know, think about it. I mean, not, and, and all he did was make, make children and work for 20 years. 12 kids, 13 kids. 12 sons and a daughter, 13 years. Uh, 13 kids. <laughs> 13 kids. And two women, four women. <laughs> I mean, he was, this man was working, man. But he learned, but see, he, he learned valuable lessons in that. So I just put here, you know, James 1 through 1, 5, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask it of God. That gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. If you want real wisdom, ask it of God. I believe no question that Joseph had this kind of wisdom because God, he was asking God. Every step of the way, he had to have been seeking God to find out what do I need to do here? How do I, how do, I do this? And God has given him wisdom every step of the way. And I put here, wisdom in the Greek here is the word Sophia, which means insight into the true nature of things or insight from God's perspective. So if you really want wisdom, you need to just ask God. He'll begin, you, you're, you're struggling with how to perform or do something on your job or in school or work, whatever. He'll begin to give you wisdom on how to, how to streamline, how to do it in such a way where it won't be so difficult. He'll give you wisdom. You just have to seek him for it. And I'm going to get ready to close here, but the last thing I'll mention here 
is the final key here is the forgiveness test. And that's going to be your key to ultimate success in life, your ability to be able to forgive. In Genesis 50, 15 through 21, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph carries a grudge against us, pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father commanded us before he died. Lying things. Your father commanded us before he died, saying, you are to say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. (laughs) Now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Amazing, man. He wept, man. He hears hears them copping for please, man. He He just starts crying, man. And he says, then his brothers went and fell down before him in confession. Then they said, behold, we are your servants. They're saying, we're your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? In other words, am I God to judge you for for what you you did? Am I I in the place of God to to pass judgment on you? And he says to them, vengeance is his, not mine. As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present outcome, that many people will be kept alive as they are this day. So now, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and support you and your little ones. Not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to provide for you and for your little ones. So he comforted them, giving them encouragement and hope, and spoke with kindness to their hearts. And I put this here. See, this is the most important lesson of all the lessons that we have went over. That is, can you forgive those that hurt you, betrayed you? See, this is the ultimate test for all Christians, the forgiveness test. It is actually the one test that will ultimately determine your success or failure in life. The reason why is because unforgiveness is one of the major blockers of people's blessings. It blocks your blessing because your blessings are attached to the fact that you have been forgiven. God has had mercy on us all because of the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And when we don't forgive others, we, for, we forfeit our own forgiveness. So you can't, you can't hold people to uh, what they've done and expect to receive God's forgiveness. <clears throat> I'll read one scripture to you, and then I'm going to get ready to close here. In Matthew 18, 23 through 35, Jesus gives them a parable, and he says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Before as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and for payment to be made. 
The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and he loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he, had, he was, what he had done, they were very sorry. And they came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me to do it. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And it says, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. In that same way, when you don't forgive other people, it said that's how God's going to have to treat us. See, when you start looking at it from that perspective, see, it's not all about, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't have no doubt about that. Maybe they don't. But is it worth losing your forgiveness? Is, is being angry with them? Is holding them, holding a grudge and holding them and keeping them in prison and, you know, you ain't getting out until you, uh, you beg me and all if, if Is all of that worth you jeopardizing the forgiveness that you have with God? So I don't forgive people as much because of the fact that they deserve to be forgiven or I want to forgive them. I don't want to forgive everybody that hurts me. I do it because I need forgiveness. You know, I mess up. And I want to be forgiven. I don't want God to, you know, say, well, because you didn't forgive someone, so I can't forgive you. So it ain't worth it, man. Release it. Let those people go. And again, that was the ultimate last test in Joseph's life. I'll read one more thing to you. The key to Job's deliverance. In Job 42, 7 through 10, it says, And it was so, that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. Now, these are the three guys that were telling Job how horrible he was. And that's why, you know, God did this to him, because he was so horrible, you know. He robbed from people, you know, he, he didn't have pity on the poor, all this stuff, man. They, they telling him all these things. And uh, now, God is dealing. And he starts speaking to these guys. 
And he says, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me the right thing as my servant Job, Job has. And he says, therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And he says, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept. I'm not even going, I'm not even going to accept your prayers of repentance. He's going to have to pray for you. And it says, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. And it says, so Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. And it said, the Lord also accepted Job. And it says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So Job is still in this horrible situation all the way up until the point where he prays for his friends. Once he, once he prays for them, you think about it. These guys have been, I mean, these guys have been beating him down for a long time. I mean, these are his, supposed to be his good friends. And here he is laying, laying down. I mean, he's, he got these sores on him. And he's, cut, he's like scraping the sores off of himself. And they're just telling them, man, you know, you're like this because of how horrible you are. You know, kind of person you are, man. That's why, you, that's why this is happening to you. And he has to put up with this for, I mean, it's like 30, you read, you read the book of Job, man. It's like they're tearing him up. And now he, has to, now he has to pray for these guys. And I got news for you. You can't pray for anybody with any real effectiveness unless you've forgiven them. So this prayer was more than just, you know, yeah, just go ahead and say a prayer for them. It, uh, forgiveness had to be attached to this. So when he, when he prays for these guys, then the Bible says God turned his captivity. In other words, the devil had his foot on Job's chest and he turned his captivity and he put, and Job's foot was on the devil's chest. And then he said he gave him twice as much as he had before. See, many of you, captivity has not been turned because you refuse to pray for the people that have hurt you. I'm not talking about getting into a deep relationship with any again. Nobody said that Job had to go back to being best friends with them. But he did have to forgive them and he did have to pray for them. And many of you right now, you refuse to forgive somebody that's hurt you, forgive Forgive them and pray for them, that God may have mercy on them. And because of that, you're still captive. And God cannot turn your captivity. If you want to be released from your prison, you must release those people from their prison. And that's when you do when you don't forgive somebody. You put them in prison. You, you imprison them. And you let them know you ain't getting out of this prison until, you know, I feel like you've paid enough. 
I want you to suffer for a little while. And after you suffer, maybe I'll let you out. But God is saying to you, if you don't let them out, you won't get out. For those of you that have ears to hear, you better hear this. Do that today. Get rid of it. Deal with that situation. Ask God for the grace to forgive those individuals. Let them go. Not just so that they can be, so you can be free. So I'm closing right here. But I just want you to lift your hands to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you, especially those that, especially those that are battling with that unforgiveness it will it will block it will block your blessings it will block God from giving you what he really wants to give you father in the name of Jesus I just pray right now for everybody under the sound of my voice I pray father in Jesus mighty name that your people have received this word. And if they haven't received anything from today, let them, let them receive the fact that they need to forgive and let go of everybody that they have an offense against. Grant them the grace to loose those individuals, to let them go free. Give them the grace to forgive those that have wounded them, those that have scarred them, hurt them, those that have disappointed them. Grant them the grace to loose them and let them go free so that they themselves can go free. And that even like you did for Job, you turn his captivity. You turned his captivity when he prayed for his friends. And then you gave him twice as much. You showed us with Joseph that he had to forgive his brothers for selling him as a slave into Egypt. Understanding that although they meant it for evil, you allowed them to do it so that they can send them to where he needed to go so that he could save Israel from starvation. And Father, we just want to thank you for your grace because it takes grace to forgive. So I loose the grace of God on your people today. Grant them the grace to forgive those that have hurt them, those that have betrayed them. Grant them the grace to do it. They need more grace. We need more grace. And for it, Father, we just thank you, we bless you, we give you all the praise, the glory, we give you honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Now come on, let's just give Jesus a praise. Come on, you can do better than that, let's give Jesus a praise. Amen, 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 amen.